This is Life of an Architect, a podcast dedicated to all things architecture, with a little bit of life thrown in for balance. Join us today as we have a guest in studio, Paul Ober, photographer extraordinaire, as we discuss crafting an image. Today's episode is brought to you and supported by Pella Windows. Hi, everyone. I'm Bob Borson. And I'm Andrew Hawkins. And today we are joined in studio, otherwise known as the front room of my house, by photographer Paul Ober. In addition to being an amazing photographer, having shot for the likes of Toshin, German publishing house giant that specializes in art and architecture monographs, Paul is most famous for being my neighbor, and he and I have had many interesting conversations while drinking beer in the alley. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Pretty good. Happy well, to be here. Great. Thanks for walking across my yard and joining us today. <laughs> it was quite a commute. I know. You look exhausted. <laughs> I want to talk about a few specific things today, but please feel free to take us down any rabbit holes that come to your mind. And if there's any stories that you want to share about that time you were in Kathmandu, let us know. Yeah. Okay. Those are many. There's so many. A lot of them are really not They're hazy. appropriate for... I know. Well, those are the ones we want to hear the most. <laughs> yeah. Well, just know that we can edit out, you know, certain words. I'm going to have to change names. You're going to have to, to protect the innocent. plastic surgeries in your future. Oh, there's no Could innocence. Be. That's realized. There's, those stories, there's not any innocence. Yes, there really isn't. Okay. So let's just jump into the first. I have about four or five little kind of areas I think it'd be fun for us All to right. talk about. First one I have is just titled Truth in Architectural Photography. Well, that's the first problem right there. There's no truth. There is no truth. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, okay. So, Andrew, I know that you and I have had conversations about this before. And there wasn't too long ago when a project was shot and they photoshopped out all the rooftop equipment. Equipment, yeah. In Chicago for a design awards. Yeah. So, it won a design award. All of a sudden, the pictures got sent out. And people were like, wait a minute. That building, like, I never noticed it before because it doesn't look like that. And it made it made rounds. Oh, yeah. And so, it really kind of reintroduced the subject of... What's the obligation of the photographer, not necessarily the individual, because it's not like it's, it was their decision. I'm sure they're acting on the the behalf of their client. But I know that even from the pictures I shoot, you know, I have a wide angle lens. I take pictures in spaces that are too small to capture with a regular lens. And the finished product makes it look like it's a gigantic space. And of course, it's not. It's small. It's a hall closet. That's but right. It's gorgeous. Right. So architectural photography truth in those pictures yeah i mean i've shot a few bathrooms where i'm actually shooting from the window outside looking in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the window opens you know like right yeah you get back as far as you can on the small spaces tiny rooms are tough the thing was it in chicago you said they took the equipment off the roof of a building in post-production yes yeah and so how much equipment awards. Uh, the whole roof. Like, I mean, it was, they're like. Yeah. Like big really, air conditioning units, yeah, all that stuff. It was a stuff. really tall building and they'd taken off all the, you know, probably six foot, eight foot tall Whoa. equipment off the top. Okay. I've, I've never gone down that road. That's pretty extreme, but. And we've seen that a lot of times. So I've sat on a bunch of design juries and photos will come in and we know that, or even work with other architectural photographers, they'll take out power lines. They'll yeah. take out, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll remove things from the reality of. Like if I'm standing here looking at this view that I'm presenting, there's stuff that's been digitally removed from right. that shot. Done that. Yeah. And it kind of depends also on the client too. For architects, absolutely. You know, if it's going in their portfolio, yeah, let's take out some power lines. If it's going in an ad, that starts to get a little bit different, yeah. especially if people know where that is. But really, I mean. Well, that comes from the fact that you've been in New York for the last several years and there's a certain amount of grittiness i guess that people expect in the photography that you're creating a little bit yeah i mean there's definitely some trash cleanup if you're shooting exterior in new york you can definitely count on <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even think about that but are you doing that in post-production are you doing that before you take the shoot like you physically out there with a broom kind of sweeping stuff off and then wet down the pavement and then De definitely done both yeah huh. yeah i think it depends on how gross that trash is <laughs> You have someone like herding rats out of the picture. I've never had any rats, but definitely uh, birds and shoo them off. People and actually, shooting buildings in New York is tricky because um, nine times out of ten, you know, somebody's coming up and asking if you're shooting a movie. I don't know why they think a 
<laughs> still photography camera is still a movie. But so I usually would have an assistant, honestly, just to crowd control. Yeah, just to be a barrier between me and everybody and their mother coming up and asking what I'm doing. Okay, well, here's the question. So you and I have talked about this. So the the book you shot for Tashin, which, okay, so just introduce what that book is so I don't have to. Okay, so Tashin approached me. They had doing these books on, they did three or four different cities. Uh, I think it was Paris, London, Berlin, and New York. I mean, they are kind of travel book. They're kind of, you know, travel guides in a way. But it was um, Angelica Tashin's, it was her idea. And it's basically her favorite hotels, shops, and restaurants in New York. And so we collaborated on, you know, how we were going to shoot these things. But basically, I, she kind of let me just do the whole thing. I mean, she picked it out, but. Okay. So this is the part I love about it, though. <laughs> so and I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. And it's a big book. And there's what, like how many hundreds of pictures in that book? It's a. Yeah, it's a big book. I mean, that for some reason, I want to say there's like 600 images. But it's probably, yeah. It's a lot of, it's a lot a of lot. images. And you had a, an amazingly short window of time yeah, to was, shoot them. I just kind of started out shooting on my own. I'd been a photo assistant for years, and this was kind of my first big break. And uh, they approached me, and you know, it was not, I was not saying no to this, no matter what. You know? Right. But then when they were like, yeah, you know, we, wanted, we have uh, almost 100 locations in New York we would love to shoot. And uh, we have eight weeks to shoot it. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yeah. And here's the thing. Nor wow. Normally, when you take time, you can contact the establishment and saying, hey, we're going to we want to take pictures of your establishment, put it in this book so you can help us like get people out of the way or and like, make it you... look nice and, and get like, everything no, cleaned these up. Places, yeah. They're not closing down. Yeah. So Paul's like in the space, like raw. Shooting. Yeah. Well, I mean, all of them got a heads up. Well, sure. And then, but that was really the hardest part was the production of. You know, scheduling it because everything was constantly changing. Uh, the hotels were a little bit easier because that was, I would just count on the, the hotel being a full day shoot. Um, and they were really, they were kind of bending over backwards to help us out to get the good shots because they, they understood. The restaurants and the shops, on the other hand, they- Yeah, I remember you telling me about it, like a couple of bars. Restaurants were tough. They're like, yeah, just go do what you got, but we're doing what we got to do. I mean, when you're going into a restaurant- like Balthazar, which is a fantastic place to go eat. They're not, they don't have a slow time in the restaurant. Like a lot of times we'd go into places and they're slow after lunch. So we'd kind of, or before lunch. So we could kind of sneak in there, knock it out pretty fast. But Balthazar was insane. I mean, it was really, they kind of said, yeah, come, you know, we're slow around like two or three in the afternoon. We walk in there and, and I mean, it is packed. Yeah. And Slow means there's not a giant line. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Slow means we're full. Nobody's waiting to get in. Exactly. It's just we're full. Yeah. So, well, well, the reason I brought that up has to do with a different type of truth in photography. And that is you walked into the spaces. There wasn't like, hey, let's bring in stage equipment or stage furniture or the bowl of lemons. <laughs> no, there's hardly any of that. And, yeah. you know, I had a digital tech and, and myself. It was me and a laptop, my assistant who had a laptop. We didn't light anything. It was all in camera, multiple, you know, it was a lot of compositing later. But most of the compositing was to get rid of people because Tashin didn't want any people in the shots. No. And that was tricky. That sounds easy in a restaurant. Well, <laughs> no in a restaurant, you would just kind of like, you know, long exposure and make everybody blurry. Uh, that was the other the way to do that. But for a lot of the places, it was tough because, you know, if you're shooting in the lobby of a hotel... There's always people walking through, and so you'd shoot, and then you'd wait for the person to move, and you shoot again. You know, you just make them disappear that way. But so that to me seems like a fairly, you know, realistic portrayal of those spaces. I mean, you're working around existing conditions. There's not a lot of get, you know, prepping the space. But in architectural photography, like the kind that I am used to seeing a lot, there's never any people. They're very staged. They're yeah, it's lit. meticulous. And, yeah, it, they're like perfect, right? And they're stage pieces almost, like set pieces where yeah. everything is exactly – it's the exact right time of day and it's the exact, you know. Well, we also know that – and this is this kind of gets into the next topic that I'm not ready to go through yet, but it has to do with how technology has changed the way pictures are being made. But I know that when I'm evaluating pictures that have been submitted as part of an entry for a design award, you know, especially if you know the building or you've seen it and you, you see how they have tried to manipulate – the end product from reality because like it doesn't look as good when there's that fire hydrant right by the front door, right? All of a sudden you're like, well, maybe they should have moved the front door 
instead of leaving it. You know, there's there's considerations. They're like, well, we'll just get rid of that. Yeah. I, and, I mean, when I was shooting the Tashin book, we, we went up to um, shoot that new, at the point at that time, it was the new Apple store up on, um, I guess, 57th and 5th. And it's that big glass box, you know, the one I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And of course, I pull up, you know, I go up there to shoot it and there's just the crappiest old van you've ever seen in your life <laughs> parked right in front of it, right at the angle I want. And there was a cop car parked in front of it. And I was like, oh, good. Well, maybe maybe they're getting this thing towed out of here. And I walk over to the cop. I was like, you guys going to get rid of this thing? It's been here forever. And he just looked at me and laughed and walked off. I mean, it was. So what, so what happens? I got to know. Was we shot sl- it with a van in there. If you like, look on the you, book. It's... Did you just knock on the van? He's probably yeah. sleeping in it. <laughs> exactly. There. In, we there's did. a couple in there, like, t- you know, having a nap. We did. Nobody was in there. Nobody, Nobody answered. So let's segue into that next topic, which is how technology has changed and impacted photography. Because it's big. And and I'll I'll share a story right out of the gate. And I think, Paul, you and I, during the course of one of our alley beers, have talked about this before. And it was a couple years ago. I remember reading about a guy who went into a garage sale. One of his hobbies was buying like unprocessed slides to add to his collection. Oh, like random people, you know, whatever. And he actually bought a, a like a lost Ansel Adam slides. You mean uh, negatives? Uh, yeah, I guess they were negatives. I don't know the right words. I don't want to talk technicalities with a with a photographer. Like rolls of film? No, they weren't rolls of films. I want to say they were like slides. Well, they're probably. I don't think Ansel shot slide Slides. film. It'd be negatives. It was yeah. big negatives. Probably big plate negatives. Maybe that's what it was. But he ended up buying a bunch of them for like $15. The people who owned them didn't know who they were. And then, you know, he looks at them and goes, hey, you know, I, I think I know who these are. Because yeah, this is like what this guy did. And it turns out they were, Ansel Adams had shot them, but they had never been like processed. And Jackpot. Yeah. He, it went from, hey, my $15 investment just netted me like, Three and a half million dollars. Yeah, it was like fifteen right. million. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a lot of money. So Crazy. I was actually on an architectural shoot, and I so I asked the the photographer that I was working with about this. We had an interesting conversation about, in his opinion, Ansel Adams was a mediocre to above mediocre photographer, where he made his magic was in the darkroom. That he was exceptionally good at processing the dodging and the burning and all that. You know. This was not, there was no Photoshop back in those days. So it was all the chemicals and the paper and the exposure and the dodging and the burning. And he was able to make like really spectacular prints from that. And this particular guy I was talking to was saying, now the tools of this trade are not darkroom, they're Photoshop and what they're able to do. And for him, so instead of him trying to get that one magic shot, he would just bracket it, you know, and underexpose and take 15 shots all the way to overexposed. And then he would slice and dice and everything is perfect in every finished process image that he made. Yeah. I mean, I do that as well. It's the compositing. Um, I do that for, you know, commercial work for shooting architecture. Absolutely. It makes, is the game changer for shooting architecture, Um, especially interiors. The old way of doing it with the, you know, shooting film. I doubt any architectural photographers miss that. It was not easy. Yeah. Well, they're hauling, they're hauling lights around, right? Because in order to get everything lit yeah, properly. lights and like filtering available light and covering windows and, you know, it was highly technical. Yeah. Where now it's uh, not nearly as technical. Yeah. You sit one spot and do your 15 shots. And My question on that is always, though, does that mean that anybody, if you're good at Photoshop and you're not good at photography, you can still produce good images? Like, is that? No, I don't think so. Yeah, You still have to have an eye, right? Yeah. I mean, you still have to have the eye for things. Because one of the things that I always want to talk about is the um, photographers today, probably younger ones, right? Never, ever shot film in their life, right? That's a good chance of that. And so, but, you know, you and us having learned, I mean, I had you know, a film SLR back in the day right. and that's what I did. And you, you well, there was no post-processing, right? So you had to make sure what you were doing was going to be the image that you want, which gets back to like, you can't crop out or you can't Photoshop out the power lines and that kind of stuff. You've got to find a shot that either doesn't have them in it, right? You've got to frame your shot that way or right. you've got to accept that they're there. So is it a skill, I guess, that people don't really have or develop anymore of being able to craft a shot that doesn't no. that doesn't come into the idea of I'm not going to post-process this because I'm going to get the shot right 
now. Like I don't have to work around these power lines and get another creative kind of interpretation of what I'm trying to get because I can just get rid of that thing yeah. in post-production. Yeah. Big deal. There's definitely that. Again, it, it kind of depends on, am I shooting this for myself or am I shooting this for a client who wants them gone? You know, when we were sh- when I was shooting film, you just made it work. And there was some Photoshop, you know, scanning film. And when even when I was first getting started, you could still scan stuff and Photoshop was around. Right. Um, and with black and white, there was a lot of kind of in the darkroom stuff that was kind of like retouching in a way. And then there were people who were like, who you could take your prints to and they would spot stuff and clean stuff up for you, especially for like people. Like there was, you know, stuff on somebody's skin. They could fix that. But that was pretty old school. Is that done by print or is that done in the negative so that any print you do afterwards has that correction in it? Print. Right. That's a different, that's a different volume kind of thing. Totally. Yeah. That does kind of make it feel more artistic if you're doing it they're all one-off hand done as opposed to some wizard you know working photoshop magic and then you can just high speed crank these things out they can go wherever they want it's you know the the digital thing and and so many different ways is a game changer um since everybody has a camera now i feel like there is a sense of mediocrity in a lot of you know the photography yeah, because you see so much of it, and it's well. I mean, I have yeah, an it's... I have an iPhone. It's got filters on it. I'm an awesome photographer. That's all you need. You are Bob. All you need is iPhone <laughs> and one of those filters. That's you're, true. You're done. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that think that. Well, like, yeah, that was sort of oh, my, yeah. that was the kind of the point I was trying to get to. Right? It's like I feel like with the overabundance and the ease of this, is there is that a skill set that's kind of getting lost as far as really being creative and trying to get the right angle and the right photo at the right time, as opposed to just, I'm going to take 15,000 shots and I'll pick the one I want and and I'll edit it and filter it. And it's going to look awesome. Yeah. Instead of just, I'm going to get the one picture. That's right. But even, I mean, you guys know when you're having a a building shot, like a good architecture photographer is going to wait for the light, you know? Right. They, They know. Yeah, like we're going to shoot this in the morning and then we're going to go do something else and exactly. we're going to come back later. Yeah. Okay, but Andrew, you said something that actually I'd never really thought of this before. At least I hadn't put it together so succinctly. So one of the things that I was always really envious of as an architect in our profession is how can we get non-architects excited in, about what we do, right? Because that is, you got to understand it well enough to appreciate it. And if once you appreciate it, then you start to put value to it. So if you take a professional chef, like we definitely have a foodie culture, you know, that's like been sweeping the nation for the last 15 years. And there's so many cooking shows on TV and it's, it's got people real. I mean, celebrity chefs are so common now. Like people know who the chefs in their town are. That wasn't true 30 years ago. Yeah. And so 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. Even really 15. Yeah. 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 So now what happens is people watch all these food shows and then. They're excited about it and they try cooking stuff in their house and they're more interested and it's part of the culture, right? Like how, you know, foodie and they're taking pictures with their phone of when they make something good or they go to restaurants and, and I go, the professional chefs probably think this is great too, but they're under no, like they're, I'm not threatened by that, by the home cook. Right. And I would think that professional photographers in the same vein should be really excited by the fact that there's so many people now taking pictures, even if it is with their iPhone. Right. Like people are starting to look at stuff differently because they're trying to capture everyday things with their phone, you know, and take pictures of it in an artistic way because I want it. Right. I want it to look good. I want to get likes. Right. And that should somehow translate in a positive way to photographers as a culture because now everybody kind of wants to know more about it and it's a bigger thing now. Right. Well, I'll ask you this then. Do you think photography in magazines and in advertising? Etc. is getting more sophisticated. Or do I don't you think, think it, it. I don't think it's getting more sophisticated. Well, okay. So the way I'm interpreting that question is, it seems like it's less artistic, but it's more stylized. Right. It's it, it's almost a this like, you know, inch deep, mile wide. Like it looks good. It's very trendy. It's like got all the it hitting all the right buttons right now. Right now. But it you look at that picture and people are gonna go, oh, they use the the Pope filter. Right. You know, or whatever it is, it's going to, it's going to have photo these... So 2018. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and even when you help me pick out a bunch of photography books for my gift guide. Right. Those are all amazing photos that go back 70 years. Yeah. You know, 
I mean, they're all, you know, like, this is still an amazing photograph. I still think that it's pretty cool that so many people are trying to take good pictures now. I mean, people think about it in a way that they've never thought about it before. I would agree with that. I yeah. agree with that. I think that's cool. I think the Christmas card bar has been set higher. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, right? Yeah. Everyone's got like really cool Christmas oh, yeah. cards now. That's hilarious. I didn't even thought about that. Well, yeah, and also because you know, the printing part is so much easier too, right? Yeah. You can just press a button and they'll send you 8,000 Christmas cards. Yeah. Right? I kind of miss the old little glossy long rectangular. That was actually like printed on film yeah. paper, like yeah. photographic right, paper, yeah. not just cardstock. That's kind of funny. More from Life of an Architect in just a moment. So, Paul, I have to tell you, I love being on a job site. I love everything about it. I actually think there are days when I wish that I was a contractor because I love being on the job site so much. And from all this time on the job site, I have picked up some cool tips and I have seen some crazy things. I was a uh, laborer on a bricklaying team and uh, I do not miss being on job sites you don't really strike me as the laborer type <laughs> not anymore but back then back then well you know one time i was on a job site and i saw a really big kind of round guy sand some framing by putting a sheet of sandpaper on his belly and then kind of doing a little jiggle yeah, that's, that's how they do it i don't that's by the book that is it's <laughs> very technical it is very technical he's next level houses are getting more complicated as you know because you shoot a lot of them. And architects are always trying to push the boundaries of what is currently being done. And one of the rate limiting steps is the materials and products that are available to us. Sometimes in an effort to do something incredible, people will do incredible things to accommodate these new solutions. Like use spray on truck bed liner to solve condensation problems. What? Crazy. That is crazy. Did you say truck bed liner? I did say truck bed liner. That's what the team at Pella came up with to solve a unique challenge that another architect brought to him. Of course, this architect wanted super large windows and was working with Pella to make that happen. And, just like I would, this architect wanted the millions to be as thin as possible, as if they didn't exist. But the thing is, Pella needed a way to prevent condensation while maximizing the amount of glass and minimizing the million profile. After utilizing thermal modeling and conductance testing, Pella's architectural engineers concluded that a coat of truck bed liner applied to the extrusion would solve that problem. That's what differentiates Pella from its competitors, innovation. And the innovation at Pella extends beyond the products to the tools and services they provide to architects. From their new architectural design manual that uses augmented reality in a really cool way to the team of architects and engineers whose only job is to help other architects achieve their design intent. Complex projects require more than custom products. The Pella Architectural Solutions Team works as an extension of your design team, providing custom services for the building envelope. Check them out at Pella.com. I will check them out. Another subject that I think that it would be worthwhile to spend some time talking about is how, and I'll tell you why, well, let me tell you, (laughs) let me tell you the, the topic and tell you why I think it would be worthwhile to talk about. So the the topic is how photography can tell a story in a certain manner, right? Because we've kind of already hit on the fact that we can manipulate the story we tell based on the lenses we use or the filters we use to set it up or how we stage it. You know, I know people that will design a house and the owner's got not the greatest furniture. They just got through paying for a house. Maybe they don't have two X bag of money to buy all new furniture for the house, right? So they will stage it before, either before or, or during. They'll get all the owner's furniture out, and they will bring in all new super groovy furniture, take all their photos, stage it perfectly, take their shots, and then haul everything off and put the owner's furniture back. That seems offensive <laughs> to me. I mean, it's, I know people do it. It's never, I've never thought to do that. Every magazine does not Yeah. I mean, every big editorial shoot I've ever been on, the stylist... And this is like super nice, expensive houses, you know, wealthy owners with great art collections and great furniture. It's pretty rare that they don't start pulling stuff out. And a lot of it is because it's too cluttered and it just doesn't look good in the photograph. But, man, they will like style it up. Yeah, well, it's one thing to thin it. It's another thing to replace it. Yeah. Well, they 
Yeah. Which they do that too. Oh, I mean, yeah. I know, I know they do. Well, but I think some of that is because they want the interior of the house to match sort of the idea of the magazine. Right. right. Like, so if it's yeah some modern ish magazine, then they're going to replace, well, you know, the 18th century sofa with a modern sofa. And if right. it's, you know, some other thing, then they're going to leave the curly twirly arm sofa in there and it's okay. You know? What style is curly twirly? I don't know. Victorian. Victorian. <laughs> Victorian. See? Well, okay. Yeah. But I, see, I'm much more of a cynic about that because I always think, well, they're hauling that couch out and put this couch in because Roche Beaubois is an advertiser with the magazine. And so that's why they want their there, couch. Definitely some of that. There's probably some of that too. Yeah. yeah sure. Right? I would imagine. But I don't think, I don't think it's as offensive if you did it before the Homeowners. people moved in. Right. If I, if, if oh, I was like, yeah. I need a week before it's done before you move in. Or if you schedule it that way, right? Yeah. I think you, that's the optics. You have to do it. You have yeah. to say, hey, here's what we need to do and why we need to do it. Not because your stuff is junk. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of, I mean, I, I try to do some of my stuff that way too, just because I know. Especially in schools. It doesn't take long. Hey, here's a rabbit hole for you. One of the things I've noticed, and Andrew, tell me if you've noticed this as well, or Paul, if you have. It used to be that architectural pictures, no people. Like, that was a big deal. Like, no people in the shots. Now, I'm seeing many, many more photos that include people. Now, they're slightly blurred, but the idea of not having a user in the space to show how that window seat might actually function. It's not just a picture of the window seat. It's actually somebody who's reading a book sitting in the window seat. That seems to be much more common these days. Like if I just open up our local Texas Society of Architect magazine, Texas Architect, a lot of those photos when they show them now include human beings. It's not that uncommon. Yeah, it's it's started, I think, in the past a decade or so, maybe not even that far back to become a deal, right? But it's still not... I think they're still all staged. There's people, but it's not the actual use. There's, we're going to put two people in this picture. I don't think, I don't think it's a point of when Paul was in New York and trying to, you know, get everybody out of the restaurant or sure. blur the people. It's still, they're still staged, but yes, they, I think they have people in them, but I still think that they're all staged people. Totally staged. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah yeah. 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 They're like, we need you with your long hair there and we need. You with your suit and tie right there. Sure. And you've got a red shirt and you've got a blue shirt because it yeah. works. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because then when, when those things come up in design uh, presentation, like design awards, you'll see the same like nine people show up <laughs> in half a dozen different pictures. Right. You're like, yeah. oh, there she is standing at the reception desk. And oh, there those two are, again, sitting at the cafe table. It's all from the same firm, even though you don't know it because they're all blind judged, right? But you're like. Yeah, they did the same project because there's the same people in these right. pictures. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, that bugs me for sure. I didn't want to say it bugs me that I, I like having people in interior and exterior architecture. I think it, it you know, gives it some perspective and scale. Right. it livens up. Yeah, some scale and, and it livens up what could be an otherwise, you know, dead kind of empty shot. But at the same time, some of the poses and some of the, you know... <laughs> Uh, isn't there a whole blog like dedicated to like the people in Dwell Magazine? Yeah, that, yeah, it's like unhappy hipsters. Yeah, unhappy oh, that's hipsters. awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did not know yeah. that. Oh, it's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, they make they. It's basically like any picture that you would typically see in Dwell Magazine. Yeah, there's they've come up with new captions for what's going on in that photo. And and I'm totally guilty of having the Dwell Magazine person looking off and the you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I think you got to be careful of how you place the people in. These photographs, because it, you know, it can look goofy. Well, I thought that was a great conversation. One of the things I wanted to add to it, though, was I've had you shoot a project for me, and I've had other photographers shoot for me. Of course, not since I met you. Of course, that'd right? Be, that'd be offensive. Um, <laughs> but the style differences, you know. So I used a photographer, and he shot a residential house for me, and. He really drilled down into the staging of the view to the point where we're moving chairs around in such a way to where they look good in the picture. But if you were sitting in the space, they're like nine feet apart and at these weird angles. It looks good in the photo, but it's it's manipulation, right? And it's because he's trying to – and we let – you know, I tried it until I've worked with the photographer more than once. The first time out, I kind of let them – let's see what they got. Like see how they like to work. 
Right. And if they go off the rails, we might try to push them back on to what we want. But generally, we try to let them do what they do because they all yeah. have styles. They're That's artists. why you hire them. Yeah. That's right. You want their style. And he's like folding newspapers in a very particular way and trying to track down cups out of the cupboard so that it looks like, oh, somebody just left this shot, but they were sitting there drinking a cup of tea and reading the paper. And the, the photos are beautifully shot. But one of the things that kind of jumped out at me a little bit was... They looked not really like architecture photos. And I'm not saying this is a good or bad thing. This is just what I want to talk about. They didn't look like architecture photos. They looked like architectural digest photos. I mean, it looked like the art on the walls and the chair that was in the shot were just as important as the space that they were occupying. And the whole time we're taking these pictures, I'm trying to make peace with myself that I don't care about that chair because I had nothing to do with picking it. <laughs> right. I want to tell the story of the space. And the pictures look like they're telling the story of the furniture. And that was not the experience I had when you and I were working. Because I was sitting right there and I kind of was like, hey, I want to. He was telling you what to do. Well, that <laughs> I we was, also were doing oh, mostly. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of furniture. and That's right. And most of our shots were exterior. They were. And, I, and, I, and I'd shot that, that house. This was the cabin. Paul shot the cabin project for me up in Wisconsin. Oh. I literally had shot that project about a million times myself. So I kind of knew. What shots I wanted, I just wanted them done better than what I did. Better than what you could right. do on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I had a real camera. Yeah, okay. Jerk. That was. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you had a a vision on that one because I was just concentrating on trying to stay warm. Honestly, it was chilly, <laughs> and that's that's shameful for him to say because Paul is. You want to tell everybody what's your heritage? Oh yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm half Danish. So I'm See, half Danes. Danes. Yeah. There were a lot of comments up there like. You know, Norwegians wouldn't be cold right now. I'm not cold. Right. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take yeah, my top off. Yeah. Of, yeah. Actually, I got my shoes off. Right. We're going for a swim in the lake later. It's only eight inches of snow. No need for shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a much different experience. The, like the type of architectural photographer that you choose isn't just about their skill manipulating the equipment to get a technically proficient shot. It has to do with the artistic side of what you're looking at not only in terms of like one of my pet peeves is i don't like to have things chopped off before they hit the floor so if i see like a line from like a chair or something and it's going down to the floor i don't want the bottom of that chopped off before it resolves right unless it's really kind of cropped in i have the same issue with that as well um unless it's you know unless it's tight yeah unless it's tight yeah if it's for it's right, foreground and you're really yeah. kind of looking beyond it absolutely yeah. There was the one shot I was talking about. I was like, no, we got to pull that back. I, I I don't like, I'm missing the, the final two inches of the leg of that chair. It's driving me crazy. I think what you were talking about before, though, the. <laughs> the Is that uh, shocking to you, Andrew? Yeah, <laughs> <cracks me up. laughs> you see uh, what it, I got? No, it, it's not surprising at all, it may, it, but it's it's totally you. Yeah. You see what you see what I'm dealing with here? Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. I got you. <laughs> uh, hey, we're in my house. There's no ganging up on me. Oh, wait, no, I think we should. <laughs> It's my only opportunity. But what you were talking about before with, you know, the guy setting up the shots and, and it, it looking more like architectural digest. I I don't want to put my foot in my mouth there, but I feel like for the general public, that's a more appealing look, a more editorial look than an architectural, you know, for an architect firm look. I agree 100%. And that's the struggle that I had with it because I, they're not bad shots. Right. They're beautiful. And I went, the reality is, is I can probably use that picture in a lot more locations. Like if I wanted to send it to A, B, C, or D publication. Yeah. These three are going to be more likely to want to use it because of the way it was stylized. Whereas it might be limited when I make it more just about the architecture than about the content that houses or is contained within that architecture. Right. So. And I'm also, you know, I'll shoot it like that, but I also, it's a collaboration. So if you're working with an architect on a, something that he's spent, you know, God knows how long working on, you know, you want to make that architect happy and shoot the shots that, that really show off the space. Yeah. It's his two, three year story. It's your two, three day story. Right. You, you gotta, you gotta make it work though. Well, let's be honest. Like I, I have the attention span of maybe two days. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you, probably, you want repeat work, right? You want to like, stamp your too, foot yeah. and, you know, right. I'm not going to storm like, off. I'm not the prima donna. I don't shoot it that way. You have worked for some prima donnas. 
Totally. Yeah, let's hear some of that. Um, you don't have to use names. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long list. Everybody's named Steve. It's okay. Just Steve did this. Steve yeah, did Steve that. is always the villain on this podcast. Sorry, Steves. Yeah. Unless you're that that one particular Steve, then you got it coming. <laughs> Definitely come across some, you know, prima donna homeowners and... That's always fun, too. Yeah, but you've told me stories about being the seconds on shoots and like, you know, because you shot. Okay, I'm going to make this up because I'm going to let you fill in the gaps. Like, okay. like fussy supermodels or yeah, there's illegal substances on the set. Yep. You know, to keep people's attention, you know, like True. feeling good. Yeah, right? there was some of that. Yeah, that's what I want to hear. Let's hear that's, about that. You know, that's photo assistant 101, New York City. You ask any photo assistant that, that worked in the late 90s to early aughts. No, like I couldn't go get that gig now. And <laughs> No, I can't, Actually, probably I can't not. retire and take that gig. I don't know. I don't think – I think it's much more buttoned up now, but I, I'm not sure. Well, that's not I, I don't want to like, you know, make any generalizations. Sure, there's still photographers out there. That that's why you're time. here, is to make generalizations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've worked with several – Photographers that were lively, yeah. And uh, come on, tell the stories, Paul. You see, like he's just saying, <laughs> he's, he's, he's just, just not dying. He won't do it. He's got I, his feet on the edge of that ledge, but he's like, man, eh, I'm just not going to take the jump. Hey, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. Maybe this will this will temper the water for you. I worked in a architectural office once that shared space with the photographer, and one of the days when I was there, the photographer shot a a down comforter uh, catalog. And there were half a dozen really attractive women walking around in lacy under things. Right. And uh, because they needed to be artfully placed under these warm comforters looking cozy. Right. Yeah. And they didn't want they wanted to kind of convey that the comforters are warm so you don't have to wear a lot. (laughs) And I'm. You know, I'm, I don't, I think I'm a, I'm in my teens, like I'm still in school. This is like a little summer side gig. Oh my God. And, um, probably had to tie you to a chair. I mean, I was pretty, I was like, Hey, I need to go back (laughs) into the other room for a minute. (laughs) I know. I kept going through the, the he sat at his desk. Oh, he never stood up. (laughs) No, are you kidding? I kept going. But anyway, uh, I, I walked through the space a lot and not in a pervy way. It probably in a pervy way. But I smelled that there was, uh, you know, they're smoking some stuff to put everybody at ease a little bit. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's what it was. I don't know. I mean, I think that's what I was smelling. Uh, I saw them smoking, and I was like, that didn't smell like a regular cigarette, so it must be something else. Cloves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was probably cloves, sure. But it was like 9 o'clock in the morning. And then next thing you know, they're, they're groggily laying underneath <laughs> these comforters. And I thought, this seems like a great gig. I mean, I'd like to be in there aiming lights at this particular moment. Yeah. yeah. Had a few of those, you know, aiming lights kind of jobs. I mean, I, the funniest things would, would happen when I'd get back from, like, I was on a job in Turks and Caicos on a catalog shoot when we had models and all, you know. And I was, I got back from that shoot and I was at a restaurant in New York with a bunch of friends. And it was kind of a notorious spot for, like, you know, models would hang out there. And sure enough few of those models were at the restaurant the same night and they saw me and, and my friends and they, and you know, God bless my wife. She was sitting there, a girlfriend at the time. And she, she, you know, she's not threatened at all. Like she knew these girls weren't giving me the time of day, but they came over and they're like, Oh, Hey Paul, how are you doing? And my friends are like, really? Like, yeah, you know, these girls, like, you can't like introduce like, a brother, brother up. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I know your girlfriend's here, but Hey man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm hearing that story, and I'm like, why did you ever become an architectural photographer? <laughs> I know, me too. I'm like, <laughs> if I'm specializing in photography, I'm specializing in beach bikini I photography. I want to be the right. banana boat guy, the official banana boat <laughs> photographer. Right? <laughs> I was like, the driver? No. I think, you know, it's... Maybe it I think it's fun, well. and then it's, you know... It's not fun. Oh, so you get right. burnt out after a while? I would assume it's something like that, maybe. I don't know. Unless you're like, you know... Santa Dorazio or somebody who's he's still going strong, I think. Still shooting beautiful women and God sounds terrible. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think at some point, right, though you kinda of get that that you're sort of the person for that, right? So then you Right. You get to keep doing it. Right. Yeah. It's not Right. You get to be more selective. You're not going to Turks for the 
spring line, you're, you know, having somebody come to you that's top notch. Yeah. Right. Or you are, you'll take the Turks job, but you're not going to, you know, Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. No offense, Kansas City, but, uh, yeah, I love Kansas City. What's your, why are you, why are you down on Kansas City, Paul? Well, if you had your choice. Kansas City, they got good barbecue in Kansas City. I don't think there's a lot of bikini need in Kansas City, yeah. though, for heat lamps most of the year. You know what? I'd just like to be around just beautiful people. It doesn't even have to be women in bikinis. I mean, I'm just, it'd make me feel better about myself. It's true. I did work for this one photographer, and we used to shoot at um, this big studio in New York. And uh, we were shooting boring still life, like coach handbags in our studio. Granted, the sets were huge. And next door, they were shooting Victoria's Secret. And you would talk about, like, having to make an excuse to, like, walk out of the studio into the into the hall to see what was going on. And, you know, nine times out of ten, there's Tyre Banks and the rest of them smoking cigarettes. Like, you know. You're like, I've never had to go to the bathroom so many times <laughs> exactly. in one day yeah. in my life. Yeah. Every 15 minutes. And I got to go. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I think it's kind of funny. If you go to, uh, you know, North Park Mall here in Dallas. There's a big Victoria's Secret store, and on the side, when you walk in, because it's along one of the main entrances, they have one of those giant television array walls, so it's like 10 feet tall and 18 foot long, and it's basically just video from their runway shows. Their show, yeah. And there's always like one or two skeevy dudes like looking like I just chose this bench to relax because it was here, <laughs> and God, they're awesome. they're just sitting there, they're just sitting there watching, watching, you know. And I go, come on, man, that's pretty funny. Grant, you you know Priscilla's been to that show. I know, I've heard. Oh, eight or nine times. Oh, yeah. You know how many times I got invited to go? Zero. Yeah. I know that's just not cool. That that's is not cool. Not cool. Points off, and uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was uh, wow. You know. <laughs> she got your wife just got no, no, because I'm not doing that. She's great. She's great, but she knew. Better. I wanted to take me, so it's fine. Right? Yeah, that's right. I, it's I'm points not, off I'm for not, not bringing you. Yeah, I'm not married to her, so she can take me anytime. That's yeah. true. You anytime. got a better chance of going. Yeah, see, yeah. I I'm think the that's neighbor. You're the neighbor. I am happily married, though. Right? Yeah, Michelle. Would, she wouldn't care. She'd put the kibosh on that immediately. <laughs> Again, back to me. <laughs> Dang it, Andrew, the single guy. I finally win. Wins. <laughs> always. I finally win. Okay. It's time to humanize us as regular people, not superstar architects and world-famous photographers. So, in each episode, Paul, since you're new, it's the first-time guest, we either do a In My Spare Time segment where we talk about what we're doing in our spare time. Or we do a hypothetical question. And today's a hypothetical question. The hypothetical. Day. The hypothetical. <laughs> and since you're our guest, you provided us with the hypothetical. Oh, boy. So here it is. This is for the group. You accidentally fall into a time machine that someone irresponsibly left sitting out in your transported back in time to win. So, Paul. What time does your time travel bring you to? Is this where you want to go? Yeah, this is, you get to choose. You get to choose the time yeah. in which you land. Yeah, it's activated and you're like, I got to go somewhere. I'm going back. I might as well punch in the date. I got you. So you get to choose the time you're traveling back to. It's just, it's not future. It's past. So what, right? Where and when? Wow. Such a tough one. I think, uh, yeah, the the 80s photography scene in New York is probably pretty fun. I mean, it was fun in the late 90s, but I always heard stories about how the 80s were crazy. Like, really? So you want to go back in time and work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to call it work, yeah. yeah. I think that's his point, is it probably wasn't a lot of work? It was not a lot of work. There was just a little bit of work with a lot of other stuff. Yeah, a lot of extracurriculars. That's a tough question. Um you know, there's a lot of times where you don't want to go back and you don't want to go back to, you know, 1820s no, thank Paris you. where smallpox was rampaging <laughs> through the city. Exactly. But you're probably inoculated. So right. You'd be safe. I didn't. I meant eight. I meant 1965, not 1865. <laughs> That'd be a bummer. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So is that what we're thinking for you? You're in New York in the 80s? 
Actually, New York in the 80s, other than the like, studio life, I think the city itself was probably just a horrendous place to live, but um, it's pretty dodgy. Yeah, murders and hookers everywhere. Yeah. Good call, Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking can, that. You uh, can rethink that at this point, but, you know. I, I've uh, seen that movie, The Warriors. I, I, I know how it was. Come out and play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Andrew. No, well, you're next. No, I'm the host. Ooh, okay. I was going to say, um, it's tough. And I need time to think. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. I'm trying to think, too. I was thinking, like, maybe the... You know, 1920s era. Prohibition. Maybe. Yeah. Interesting. No, in like Paris or somewhere like, right? It's supposed to be a really fun and turbulent time, but not so super crazy. Right. Post smallpox and that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> you certainly wouldn't want to be in the U.S. at the late 20s. No. Yeah, no. That's when nobody's eating. Yeah. Well, true. But then I don't know. Maybe, Maybe I really would want to test my, I don't know survivability and go back like way back right? prehistoric like, like somewhere you know <laughs> i'd like to go back to in the, the seven, cretaceous in period, the 1700s yeah. or something you know and yeah that'd be kind of interesting yeah i don't think i would make it very long but oh, I, I think it would be well nobody did no i know right yeah i'd be yeah. dead already i mean my lifespan would be complete yeah but, 36 yeah although you know there's a part of me that thinks maybe not back that far but like exploration wild west kind of stuff like where you were coming across even though that's a horrible time to live i think but have like, you seen the revenant yeah i know but like <laughs> the idea though of going somewhere that nobody's ever been before right like that would be kind of cool yeah that would be kind of cool i don't know if you'd realize it at the time it, when except for all the native wagon, americans who are like kill me yeah yeah. yeah yeah well in that regard i'd be covered because i'm native american no. <laughs> still got a lot of I you mean, still got a lot of Norwegian yeah, in you. I know, but I'm, still. I'm afraid they're just going to kill you and ask questions later. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, I know I know the secret handshake. It's this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. No. Oh, it's just this. It's just how. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I, I still I would still stick with, you know. That the, was, I just realized I did the live locking prop. <laughs> I just realized I did the Vulcan. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, that's not what I meant to do. Oh. That's why we're both looking at you do. like. I thought I was doing like you know how. <laughs> yeah, as no, the, you were doing how stupid am I? I, t- I totally blew right it. <laughs> as the arrow goes right through your hand. Yeah, exactly. That, no, that's why I did that. Missed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would have hit me right in the middle of my hand, but I spread my fingers. Yeah, and then it that's now why it drills right. you in the face. <laughs> no, because yeah. that's all to the side. See, that's why I survive. I'm a survivor. You are. Yeah. Okay. So, what's your answer? Yeah, I'm. Th- I'm gonna go with like Paris in the twenties. Twenties Paris. Living large. Okay. You guys answered too quick. I, I don't have an answer. <laughs> First, I was like, "You're the one that was telling us not to talk about it and everything." I know because anyway. I didn't. I don't want you guys to figure it out. Well, ahead you should of have time. been thinking about I it. I know. I was too busy doing all the rest of the work. All the work. And so, yeah. So my initial thought was, you know, maybe going back to like you guys were saying, late '60s, and I was like, yeah, I was born then. Like that kind of was in that time. <laughs> so maybe that's not really that exciting. But maybe being my age. I was thinking actually like 50s, U.S. 50s. I think that'd be fun. I think New York in the 50s would be awesome. I think yeah, that would interesting. be. Yeah. I think. Um, I think you should be like middle America in the 50s. Don't Definitely don't want that. Well, I was thinking, you know, for Ward a while. Cleaver. Well, I thought for a while, maybe I wanted to be on the West Coast back in the early 1900s. 1900, 1910. You know, to where there's like all this amazing landscape. It's unspoiled. It's beautiful, wide open. You know, there's a lot of land that's out there. Not a lot of human beings. I, I think that would be really interesting to to see. But then I thought, well, who would I talk to? <laughs> you know, I might kind of. I don't think I can make it on my own. I'm just going to admit it. I'm not to go chop down a bunch of trees and build my own house kind of guy. Really? No. Not with all the no. Norwegian and Native American. I know, right? Just because I heritage. Yeah. Just because like I know yeah. how to doesn't mean I want to. I'm right. a little fancy. <laughs> a lot fancy. Well, okay. Would either of you be building your own house? I yeah. don't know. You? I would. I don't believe that for a second. Why? Why? I just don't. Mine would be more of a lean to. I'll be. I'd, I'd I could build my own house. It'd not be a problem. I'd have a hammock with some banana leaves on top right. of it. I could build me a log cabin, build me a house, whatever. Would you? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm up for that. I mean, I wouldn't want to, but I would. Yeah. yeah. 
I could. How about that? Okay. I'd have like, cause right. That's the benefit though. If I'm going back in time, I know how to do some stuff that maybe they didn't know how to do back then. Right. So I got a little upper hand. I don't have the tools, but I still have some ideas. You know, this... I could build the first 1900 modern. Yeah. Well, you modernist know, cabin on the, out in the woods. Well, also, if you went back to that time, I go, well, I got a couple bucks. How about I go visit Henry Ford and kind of give him a little, get a little 2% of the Ford motor company right before it's <laughs> yeah. still making bicycles. Exactly. That's true. I was going to say, then maybe... I pay somebody to build my house. Yeah. I got 20 <laughs> bucks in my pocket in 1900. I'm a rich man. Yeah. Yeah. I could yeah. just go back like three days and get the right lottery numbers. You know? Yeah. You do that. Although, see, you were talking about, it's one of my things. I would love to go back to the 60s, right? This strange affinity. I would, if I could go back and like go to Woodstock, totally. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I would totally do that. That would be like the most awesome thing ever. Interesting. Paul's more of a Coachella guy. I think. <laughs> I think I'm. I'm probably 25 years too old for that. Currently, currently, yeah. So that's the fun part. I don't know. Well, it'd be interesting if, if you went back in time, but you lost all future knowledge. Like, you're still you, but you don't know anything beyond that certain period, of, some certain period of time. So you couldn't go back three days with winning lottery numbers. That kind of defeats the spirit of the game, I think. And you couldn't go back and invest, or I couldn't go back and invest with Henry Ford. Right. Well, what's the point of time travel if I can't do any of that cool stuff? Yeah. Well, you know, you're disrupting the time continuum. Just mine. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, if I invested with Henry Ford back then because I time traveled, everything would have be looking different these days. That's true. Well, this is what I'm saying. So it would just be mine. We'd be recording this episode in Bob, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Okay. I'm going to call that a wrap. Thank you for joining us today for episode 18, Crafting an Image. If you like today's episode, and can find it in your heart, please take 30 seconds and head on over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, so you can get fresh new episodes automatically downloaded. While you're there, please go ahead and leave us a five-star intergalactic planetary rating if you haven't already. It really does make a difference, and we thank you for the effort. If iTunes isn't your player of choice, we're also available on Google Play, TunedIn, Android, and a bunch of other platforms. It's free, and all you have to do is hit the subscribe button on your podcast listening app of choice. Special thank you to Paul for joining us today to talk about photography and some of these rabbit hole stories that we went down towards the end. Be sure to visit the original lifeofanarchitect.com for show notes, links, and info from this episode. Also, be sure to stick around until the very end, and maybe we'll reward you with some stupid outro tape. Thanks so much for tuning in. Cheers. It was nice being here, Bob. Goodbye, everybody. See you on the flip side. Paul will tell me these just like stories about Blah, blah, blah. It's the best. New York. <laughs> Everything's like the greatest. If you ever read these bagels, every bagel that's not outside of New York is garbage. Uh, that's not true. I'm not even, I don't even like, I can't even look at a bagel anymore. I know, because they're no good anywhere else except for New York. <laughs> it's the same for the hookers in the blow. That's true. Yeah. I bet that was tough to deal with once you left New York. Well, you got to be careful of the hookers up there because, you know. They'll take your blow. <laughs> <laughs> But is it a thing or is it just a circle? I don't know. It's I have no idea what the meaning of it is. Yeah, it's just, so it's just a circle. You're just yeah. looking at the circle. But it's got to be below your chin. Right. If you put it up here. It doesn't count. I get to hit you. I don't know the rules. I'm telling you the I, rules right now. I do yeah. what I want. I'm aware of that phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Paul. Okay, <laughs> okay here we go. <laughs> We're supposed to say goodbye now? Oh, well, I, I got you, much more to say. You didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so here's your chance. <laughs>